For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. These things command and teach. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. You know, when you look at verse number 10, when it starts off, for therefore we both labor and suffer reproach, it kind of, we just came off of the exercises ourselves unto godliness. We talked about how godliness is profitable unto all things. And we're understanding what it means to live a godly life in this, in this book of the Bible. And when you look at verse number 10, we are going to suffer reproach. We're going to be treated with scorn and contempt. And, um, it, you know, it doesn't really matter how long you live on this earth. There really is more to the Christian life than just trying to stay alive as long as we can physically. We all want to live healthy lives, right? We all want to be um, able physically to do things for the Lord. I mean, that's part of our labor. We have to use our bodies. But this chapter really is trying to get us to understand life is more about just existing physically. We are to serve the Lord, and that service really is a labor of love to Him and for Him and with, and with His saints. You know, our life just, just isn't about amusing ourselves till we die. It's not just about entertainment. Certainly, we all need breaks. We all need to take time and unwind and do things that we enjoy and God has given us a beautiful creation to enjoy. So it is a good and healthy thing to have enjoyment. Um, but I really believe our culture has led us astray into just a life that is filled with amusement. Um, and the Christian life really is much, much more than that. So when we see, uh, for therefore we both labor and suffer reproach, um, you, if you think about the strength that God has given you physically, and you think about the blessings that God has bestowed upon all of us, that really should be the motivator on why we want to do more for Him. The compelling factor should be because God has, has, has so richly blessed us that we just want to serve him. So it's, hey, how can I fill a spot? What lane can I get in? What hole needs to be filled? You know, what, what can I do to help and serve? But our culture has been inoculated with this vaccine that says, well, you're just going to sit. You're going to sit and you're not going to serve. And we're not going to get anything done for the kingdom eternally. If we just sit, God wants us to serve. Um, you know, people say, well, the reason for the season now is Jesus. You know, it's all about the birth of Jesus. But I don't see the culture at large really going out of their way to tell more people about the birth of Jesus and what he did for us. You would think the month of December would bring out all the churches and all the Christians. And you would think that 
not just the shopping malls would be filled. You would think you would think that the highways and the byways and there'd be door knocking and you would think the evangelism was would amp up. I mean, if the reason for the season is about Jesus, why don't we tell more people about Jesus? That's serving him. That is laboring for him. We might need to put Christ back in Christians might might be the thing. And we spend a month from November 25th to December 25th. And I don't mean we meaning us. I mean, we as a nation spend this month shopping and buying and spending. And maybe it should be not that. <laughs> maybe it should be. I believe it should be every month. But if we're going to make a big to do about Christ is born. Can we tell people about him? Can we tell people that he was virgin born, lived a sinless life, died for our sins? We shouldn't take it personally if discouragement or failure comes our way or someone rejects the Savior that we want to tell them about. We're going to re we're going to suffer reproach. You know, we went down to Baxter and, you know, we get parked and we get prayed and, and, and we get moving. And uh, we finally get up to the train station where people are starting to mingle about. Uh, we, we, we finally use the bathroom and, and we come out. and You know, the first couple that I saw uh, that we saw, I, I give a gospel track to and said, can I give you some good news about Jesus? And it tells you how to pass from death to life, how Christ came into the world. He was born and died for our sins. And, and you know how it goes. The answer comes back uh, about a story how, you know, I was born in church. I was raised in church. I always was at church. And my response, I'm sure, is the same of most y'all's responses. You know, that's great. Um, that's great. And, uh, you know, but a lot of people, they sit in church their whole life, but they've never come to a point in their life where they have personally trusted in Christ as their Savior. Have you ever, have you ever come to a point in your life where, where that has happened? And it just went, Phew. I mean, I got it. <laughs> And I uh, wasn't expecting it. I think maybe she was on something, but she, they, she took one look at my wife and my daughter and went off on, well, just because you wear dresses and skirts, that don't get you to heaven either. And boy, she gave me an earful. And I tried to explain to her, I said, ma'am, there's ladies that wear dresses their whole life and haven't come to know Christ as their savior. I said, wearing skirts has nothing to do with your salvation, just like sitting in church doesn't. Well, her husband finally I think it was her husband. He finally had enough, I guess, guts to turn around and face me. And he started to let me have a piece of his mind and let me have it. And she's, you know, yelling and, and, and screaming. And uh, she said, I want you to leave. I don't want to talk to you anymore. Okay. Okay, we'll leave. Well, the husband finally turned to her and said, uh, no, I'm okay to talk to him. He's starting to come down wanting to talk, but, but she completely shut it down. And uh, 
that's the most reproach that probably I'm going to suffer this month. And probably the most reproach you'll suffer this month. I would say it's worth it for Jesus. I would rather have a better positive experience. But just because it's negative, that doesn't mean you did something wrong or we did something wrong or there's something wrong with the gospel or the method. It just means we are going to suffer reproach. And believe me, I'm trying to not find it. I'm trying to, but it's, it's going to come. As nice as you think you're trying to be, it's eventually going to come. It doesn't mean you've got it wrong. It just means what's happening in 1 Timothy 4 is now playing out in your life. But remember, remember, what does the verse say? We trust in who? The living God. You know, David said concerning Goliath, he said, he hath defied the armies of the living God. And it's contrasted when David said in Psalms at a later point, my soul thirsteth for God. Uh, he says he, he refers to him as his soul's thirsting for me. He refers to him as the living God. Jeremiah calls him the living God. He's the true God. Daniel's being delivered from the lions because he's serving the, li the living God. King Darius recognized that in him. He was the servant of the living God. And you know what? We're part of the church of who? The living God, which is the pillar and ground of truth. So aren't you glad that you're part of that? And it's, it's amen. And he says, who is the savior of all men, especially those that what? Believe. Find rest in him. Enjoy the blessings that you and I get from him. And our peace comes from him. And anybody that is not saved, they don't have what David had. They don't have what Jeremiah had. They don't have what the church has or what you and I have, which is the power and the strength of the living God. That's why we want to point all lost people because he is the savior to all them that would believe. Believe. It, it bothers me. bothers me a lot when I walk into uh, shopping stores uh, you know, Walmart's got them all, all, all in their racks now. You know, it's a red shirt with Santa Claus that says, believe. My Bible tells me uh, God is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. And there's a big push with money and marketing and winning the hearts of children for someone who isn't real, isn't true, and isn't going to do anything for them spiritually, emotionally, and we're pointing, there's a big put, believe, believe, believe. How about believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? Jesus is real. He can bring you a gift of eternal life. And he's the savior of all men, especially of those that believe. So don't refuse. If you haven't trusted him already, cast all your care upon him. Look at verse number 11, 1 Timothy 4, verse number 11. Pretty clear command. These things command and teach. A very powerful word to command 
That's to preach and to teach. It's, it's with authority. Um, you're giving a charge. You're not really sharing or it's not about free hugs and rainbows and all that. It's a commanding uh, with some power and authority um, to help direct and order God's truth. And we do need more of that today. And by the way, folks, it, it's okay. It's good. It's biblical to be direct, to be to the point. Bible talks about uh, having all plainness of speech. You don't have to mince your words. Be courteous. That courtesy sometimes is going to have to be uh, melded with firmness. Hey, this is serious. I want you to listen. Hey, I've got some things I, I really, I, I really want you to know. Please consider listening. It's okay to be like that. You have to teach these things. And there's, a, there's an umph behind it. And Paul's exhorting Timothy to be mindful of this, and he's trying to develop Timothy's character. Um, so you're, you might be at a social gathering. You might be in a classroom setting. You might be at a work setting. Um, you might be out in public. No matter where it is, if there's an opportunity, make sure you pull out these things, command and teach. There's going to come a time when you have a God-ordained opportunity in your life where you can point people to the Savior who was of all men who would believe, make sure these things you command and teach. But Timothy needs to hear this because verse number 12 talks about let no man despise thy youth. So Timothy's in a bit of a, he's in a, bit of a pickle here and Paul's trying to help him out. Because he's got to warn people against sin. He's got to share his faith with skeptics like you and I. He's urging people to repentance like you and I would. But he's a younger preacher and he's got some responsibility. If you're younger, that's a bit of a hindrance. So how are you going? How is Timothy going to overcome that? Or how would any young preacher, or, or how would any young man or young lady overcome that hindrance? God wants us to make it up with verse number eleven. These things command and teach. Paul is speaking to the reality that Timothy has, his youth and his and, and his inexperience. But you use the word of God, and that's the edge that all of us would have, no matter our age. How do you test a, a younger man? Is he teaching the word of God? That's a good test. And that's going to make up for some lack of life experience. You get in a situation, what are you going to do with a, somebody that's older that you have to correct? How does someone that's 35 have, correct some, someone that needs correction who's 45 or 55 or 65? That's a tough one. That's a tough one. The answer definitely is don't get away from commanding and teaching the word of God. Because that'll make it go south pretty quick. So remember, rem remember that. Trust God. And 
The, the other thing what you see here in, in verse number 12, let, it says, let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. Okay, so you've got the word of God, but the other thing that you and I have is character. How else are you going to win someone over who is either a lost or uh, someone that is older than you? They're going to have to see your character. And that's what verse 12 speaks to. And Timothy, as a young boy, learned the scriptures from his right, his mother and his grandmother. It's a good example for all ladies. You know, you have young boys, young, young girls, too. Same idea encourage them up in the word of the Lord. That's we, we need to do that. We need to teach the word. But the other way that we teach is our, by our character, by our, what verse 12 tells us, our example. <laughs> Don't they learn more from what is caught than what is taught? They do. They do. That is... That's 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 a that's a true saying. You can teach your child how to avoid doctrinal error by showing him and teaching them the Bible. But there's something else that they will learn from your example, your character. And you want to have both. You don't want to have one at the exclusion of others of, of the other. Hopefully, young people pay attention. Hopefully, when you're older, you're able to look back and say, yeah, my, my dad was a good example. My mom was a good example. My dad taught the words of the Bible. My mom was a good example uh, who lived the Bible. And those are those are all great things. Be but be thou. What does it say? An example of the believers in word in conversation, in charity and spirit, in faith, in purity. Now, how does this work for a, for, for a young person? I'm going to yell and I'm going to scream and I'm going to talk down to you. That's an example. And that example is going to prove to be a failure if you keep that up over a long period of time. Look, it's the same with preaching. Sometimes I'm trying to really emphasize a point and, you know, carry something home. But if I'm always talking down to you, that's not really going to deliver much good results. I'd be serving as a poor example. Lest us not do, let, don't do that. Don't talk down to people. <coughs> Uh, get First Peter chapter number three. Look at that one, First Peter three. Bible talks about in First Timothy four. It says in word and in conversation, and conversation in the Bible also refers not just to the spoken word. Bible says in word in and in conversation it's the manner of your life in first Peter chapter 3 uh, it says 
Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may be without the word, be won by the conversation of the wives, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. Uh, your conversation is more than just the words that you say. It is your manner of delivery. It is your manner of life. You, when you say words, do you have a tone behind your words? Yeah, we all do. When you have a tone behind your words, do you have a temperament in your body? We do. We do. Matthew 12, look at verse 34. 12, 34. It says, O generation of vipers, how can ye being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. The way you live is related to what comes out of your mouth. And all of that has to do with our conversation. Look at Matthew 15. Look at Matthew 15. Look at verse number 17. Matthew 15, verse 17. This is Jesus speaking, and he said, Do, do not ye under, yet understand that whatsoever entereth in at the mouth goeth into the belly and is cast out into the drought. But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. Your conversation, what comes out of your mouth, it's, it's directly related to your manner of living. Watch, because watch how else it, it, it goes on to say in verse number 19. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts. That's how, you, that's how you're thinking in your life. Murders, adulteries, fornication, thefts, false witnesses, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. Heart, words, life. It's your manner of life. It's your conversation. I'll go back to uh, 1 Timothy 4. We'll get Colossians 3 as well. 1 Timothy 4, and let's get Colossians 3. The Bible talks about, in this list here, it says in word and conversation. Then it goes on to talk about in charity, in spirit, in faith. You willing to forgive? Are you willing to give somebody a second chance? Are you willing to help? Young people, does your heart have the right disposition? All of this has to do with your motive. Is it in charity? How many of you have demonstrated faith during a tough time in your life? How many of you now have used that as an example to teach your children what it's like to go through a tough time when they go through one? What you've gone through in your life and, you, and where you have demonstrated these character traits, teach them to your children. Point it out to them. Is it done in love? Is it done in faith?
as a Christian, who are you to look out for first? It shouldn't be self-interests. We talked about this before, that selfishness. When you're talking about doing something in charity, you're talking about doing something in love. It's putting the other, you're thinking of the other person. <laughs> that speaks to your character. Then it talks about, it ends with this word. It, it ends with purity. And this is probably something that's been lost almost completely in this culture. And purity is of utmost importance. Go to Colossians 3, verse number 8. Colossians 3, verse number 8, Bible says, But now ye also put off, this is for the child of God, all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy. Look at this. Filthy communication out of your mouth. We don't have a lot of people speaking with pure lips and pure mouths and pure tongues. There's a lot of filth coming out of people's mouths. That's why it's very dangerous to start listening to some of that music that the secular culture puts out. God calls us to put off all those things. Don't don't add more of it to your plate. Start moving all those side dishes away so you get them out of your life. God wants our conversation, our words, our manner of living to be pure, not filthy. Colossians 3 makes that very clear. Cry out as the psalmist did in Psalms 19, cleanse thou me from secret faults. God is he has given us the Holy Spirit. It's a cleansing and it's an everyday cleansing because we're battling the flesh and we, we need to make sure our mouths and our conversations are pure. Go to 2 Corinthians 7. We'll finish there on the thought of purity. 2 Corinthians 7. Bible talks about in verse number one of chapter seven, second Corinthians seven, chapter number, uh, verse number one, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Holiness is not a, a dirty word or a filthy word. It's a clean word. God cleanse me. I don't want filthiness of my flesh or my spirit. I want to be what you want me to be, Lord. Help perfect me in holiness. You're a Christian. Act like it. Think like it. Talk like it. Live like it. It's a powerful verse, number one, coming off of chapter number six. Look at the 14th verse. God really unloads some contrasts. Look at verse number 14. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Young people, would you ever consider marrying someone 
where regular church attendance isn't important to them. You are signing up for you're going to be out of church. You're signing up for that. Yeah, but they're so nice. I know. Until they say, we're not going to go to church. We're going to sit at home. Or we're going to go to the lake. Or we're going to do something else. Young people. Would you ever consider marrying someone who is not a Christian? Don't ever consider it. Yeah, but God can save them. Okay, yeah, he can. So why don't you let God save them and then go ahead and get yoked up? If you marry an unbeliever, you're signing up for trouble. God can work miracles. But his ideal is yoke up with somebody who believes me, not me, God, God okay, believes the Lord. Because if you don't, you are not, you are going to have trouble. You're going to have trouble. And you don't want to yoke up with someone who says they're a Christian or somebody that may be a Christian, but they're Christian by name only. They've learned to give you the Christian responses. But when you look at their life and what they're involved in, it really doesn't have anything to do with things that are Christian. Young people, don't be yoked up together with somebody like that. They're going to bring you down. Watch what it says in verse 15. And what conquered hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? You're a believer. You don't hang out with infidels. What do you do with them? What did we see earlier in 1 Timothy 4? We're trying to point them to who? It's a witnessing or a ministry relationship. We have both. With unbelievers, it's a, it's a ministry of reconciliation. Ministering to them, trying to point them to Christ. But you talk about this. What concord, you know, in music, you have, it's a chord, concord. Uh, in music, it's all about harmony where the, all the parts are working together. And if you're a believer yoking up with an unbeliever or an infidel, it's not going to sound very harmoniously, not to God, not to God. So there's that distinction, that very clear distinction made by God. Now look at verse 16. And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols. So the stadiums that run sports on Sunday, there's no agreement. Christians gather together with each other Sundays, the first day of the week. They've traditionally always done that. And if somebody doesn't want to do that, they're not in agreement with God. They're in agreement with all of the other idols. And God says, what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the, what? Living God. Did we just read that in 1 Timothy 4? You're the temple of the living God. 
Now, don't forget that. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Somebody doesn't want your God and they're not in agreement with your God. That is not a loss for you. It's a loss for them. Point them to the Savior. Verse number 17, a negative verse. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. That's not... I'm saying it's a negative verse, but it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. Why? Because God said it. Get away from, be separate, touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. And then, verse number one of chapter number seven. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. How are you going to do that? Well, you're going to have to build it. You're going to have to not be unequally yoked, not be in, in, in agreement with infidels, not have conquered with Belial, come out, be separate from the unclean things. All of that helps you and I to live clean, holy, pure lives unto God don't forget as a Christian your character my character must be pure I hope we can get our lives more in line with that in this upcoming week month and year last thought Psalms 14 says they are all gone aside they are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. Not one. We have a world out there that's filthy. And they need to be cleansed through the blood of Jesus Christ and what he did on Calvary Street. Let's try to get that message out best we can. Let's pray.